0: Here it comes. It's the Music City Real Estate Show with Andrew Buckwalter. Coming to you from his roving camper studio, The Rambler, in Nashville, Tennessee. Join us as we travel about town to discover the best real estate in areas you want to know about. With expert advice, finding the best deals, and meeting Music City's hit makers and emerging artists who call Nashville their home. And now, Here's Andrew.
1: Hello, Nashville, and all the other listeners out there. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 13 of Music City Real Estate Show. Today, I'll be sitting down with Mickey Manus. He's a local appraiser in the Nashville area, so we'll be talking about all things appraisal related. I'll also be sitting down with Melinda Edlin. She is a local singer-songwriter. In the Nashville area. She will be playing some keys in the Rambler today. I am looking forward to hearing how that will sound in the Rambler. Hope you are able to tune in to episode twelve as I dove into title insurance policy, why it's important, and different aspects of closing with David Weber, and also sit down with John Scott and listen to him play some songs he has written. Now sit back and enjoy. Melinda on the keys
2: So this song is called Three Ships It's my own rendition of the old hymn Christmas hymn I Saw Three Ships Come Sailing In um, And it's one of those that won a uh, Competition in the songwriting category So I'm going to play that right now <laughs>
1: Hello, Nashville. I am sitting here with Melinda Edlin in Donaldson, Mm -hmm. and uh, she is a singer songwriter in the Nashville area. Um, And so, what do you focus on? Keys, guitar?
2: I started writing on guitar, but really love the keys, so I mostly write using the keyboard, yeah, or piano.
1: Okay. And I met, uh, well, I met John, her husband, through um, our son's kindergarten teacher (laughs) and uh, so obviously as I'm doing this uh, podcast I had her in mind at some point so I reached out to her and now we're going to do a little interview with her and have her play a few songs on the keys that's right
2: happy to be here thanks thanks for (laughs)
1: joining me a nice day today I found some shade in her driveway so that's great (laughs) Um, yeah, so, so tell we, me a little bit about what are you doing in music? I know you have been here. How long have you been here now? Two years?
2: We have been here about a year and a half, a little over a year and a half. So okay. in Nashville.
1: So how's the journey? <clears throat> and obviously you made the move for somewhat of the music, right?
2: Yeah, we, we made the, the move for music for sure. We, uh, my husband and I actually attended school here a few years back and we lived here and got married here in Nashville and, um, Kind of started our life here, and then we moved back to our hometown for a few years, and here we are back in mm-hmm. Nashville, kind of taking music to the next level and more professionally, and just finding that there's so many people here, and you can't help but grow. So we're right. we're excited to be here.
1: And you say so yeah. you're from Kansas, is that Kansas right? City?
2: Yep. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Nice. um So what are you doing? um So I know you got a couple kids. Yes. obviously That takes some of your time. That takes. So how are few. you balancing out? You know the kids and pursuing the music?
2: Yeah, well, it's, it's, a it's always a balancing act, but, um, just finding time for co-writing has been really life-giving. I love writing songs on my own, but, uh, co-writing is, has a unique place in my heart. It kind of brings something different out in each write. And, uh, I do writing for other artists as well as for myself. So I'm kind of learning and, uh, learning how to write songs with different goals in mind. And I'm also starting to work uh, with some folks in the sync licensing world. So that that is more synchronization licensing for film and TV. So that's more, that's a whole different style of writing. So I've really been focusing on writing, um, right now and i did release my first ep my first five song ep about a year ago so okay we'll be back in the studio uh not sure exactly when but hopefully sooner rather than later and always writing so that's kind of where i'm at right now
1: yeah i've heard different perspectives on the writing i i myself thought it would be cool to write with people because i think i'm i'm an extrovert so to be stuck in a room like just writing, I would want to bounce ideas, and uh, you know, although you probably are more focused, potentially, you know, with yourself. Um, but then I thought it was cool. and or I had uh, Julie Keltonik. She's one that uh, that I had interviewed, and uh, she played, and she was talking about how, I guess, different writers have different styles. One is. More of the storyteller, and one's more of the music, Mm -hmm. or you know, you kind of can complement each other. And so, knowing Mm -hmm. what your strength is, and you try to match that with you know who you're writing, definitely, um, yeah, or bringing somebody in that kind of complements you so you don't get stuck in that one area. So, so I'm learning all this stuff about it, and um, eventually. I'll be playing guitar. That's I'll be awesome. writing. And yeah, I, I was going to say, what
2: are you doing doing real estate? Just jump on in.
1: Well, you know, I, write do a love, song today. Do, I do love real estate. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. I always said that I'd come back from playing cards at a friend's house, and he, he has done pretty well in writing, and I always was like, I'm going to write a song, you know, and I never did. But, <laughs> and, I'm, and I know there's much more to it. Than just going, I just let's just jot and write a song. You know, it takes a lot of persistence too. I'm sure. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So, growing up, did you play? How did you learn? Yeah. Did you What was your musical influence?
2: Um, my mom taught piano lessons when I was a little girl, and I just was completely enamored with the whole, the whole thing. So. The story goes um, that she would teach her kids piano and I was at home with her at the time and then when they would leave, when I was probably about four or five, I would get up on the seat and play by ear whatever she was teaching them and I would poke it out till I figured it out on my own. So, um, you know, classical pieces, I would be looking at the music, but I would have memorized it quicker than I could read it. So it was kind of weird um, and kind of a hindrance at times, but I, I would say... Just yeah, I'm one of those weirdos that it's just been my path since I was born, and I knew it. And there have been times when I've run from it, and there have been times when when I've decided no way. But it just kind of is, you know. Right. Some people say your your well, profession chooses you, and in some ways, I really relate to that. It kind of it is what it is. Right. There it is. Well, so. and I think too, there's a <laughs>
1: there's a um, the aspect that when you're born with a gift, it's It's sometimes hard to suppress that, you know, Mm -hmm. it just keeps coming up because obviously um, that's a gift that that the creator might want you to use, you know, Mm -hmm. quite often. That's Um, right. So that's cool. And (laughs) so how was your journey through music? So you were five and kind of had a knack for it. and then.
2: Yep. I loved music when I was little and I I did not like learning by being taught. (laughs) So that's where you said there were some issues. Right. (laughs) But I loved doing things by ear and um, uh, learning songs that I was passionate about. Diving into the lyric booklets and you know at like nine, ten. And I remember uh, the first song I wrote was composed when I was in timeout one day. Oh, really? So that's cool. I was like twelve years old and sent to my room, and you know that's pretty good punishment for a creative introvert so i just came out with a song and got to the piano eventually and put it to did it have something to do
1: with being in timeout no no no.
2: and please don't ask me to play it because it would be a complete embarrassment
1: Well, you were 12 (laughs) right right
2: but yeah so i've just been writing uh for as long as i can remember and uh yeah just kind of moving in that direction hopefully getting better and better with time and
1: and so what's the genre that you kind of mainly focus on
2: Well, as far as me as an artist, when I perform, what I love is um, my two favorite genres are kind of jazz influence and piano, or at least a little bit of jazz influence, and then uh, folk. Mm -hmm. So James Taylor, I love James Taylor, Joni Mitchell, Carol King, so all that kind of comes out. Um, But as far as a writer, I really am uh, capable of writing all the things so I kind of have learned you know what it takes to write a gospel song versus a country song versus a sync song and there's just different language for each genre and I'm I'm mm-hmm. still learning a lot but I've learned quite a bit about how to you know write down ideas and be like okay that idea is for country and I need to get with my country guy you know or that idea is is for myself, I want it. I want that one for me as an artist. Mm-hmm. So I kind of put on both hats. You know, I do the artist thing, and then I also do the writer.
1: So growing up, while you were pursuing that, were you or was there a lot of other genres that you mixed and listened to, or Absolutely. were you kind of focused on? Yeah,
2: those are my favorites. I I was a hung. I was like a kid in a candy store when it came to music. All my money went to buying CDs. My husband actually, our first one of our first dates, I paid for a CD. I think it was John Mayer. Room for squares, like mm-hmm. with all quarters, because I was flat broke. But I had to have that CD, and I just, you know, get things from the library. So I, it really was anything, everything, you know, right. everything. Things yeah. I'm embarrassed to admit. Yeah, even
1: well, <laughs> yeah, but you know, you learn something from it, probably. You right? do. Yeah. I mean, I'm still, um, I love XM, and two of my favorite stations are. <clears throat> One's Alt Nation, which mm-hmm. is all alternative stuff, and then one's I think it's Superfly, okay, and it's '90s yeah. R&B hip hop, you know, that and stuff it's is like, fun. and this forerunner has ten speakers, like it's I don't need to add anything else to it, it's it's booming awesome. pretty good, but yeah. it was cool because I was listening to, or I I had interviewed a Ross Holmes and he's a pretty awesome fiddle player, okay, and he was talking about how you know he's been listening to a little bit different you know genre music mm-hmm. and just kind of tweaking and making the music his own you know what i mean just kind of tweaking it you know it's like matt carney is one of my favorite artists okay yeah love his stuff love his Mm -hmm. style and you can tell he's got the you know in one of the songs he talks about Belle Belle, Belle, bibbo and so he he has that same era of music that i was in Uh um and how he you can tell he infuses it with his style and you know just different stuff so that would be kind of kind of fun you know listening to different stuff and going hey let's pull a little bit of this or a little bit of that you know and it's funny too because as i listen to his and now i'll hear other music and i'll hear um i don't know what you what you would call the you know just little noises that you'll have you know Mm -hmm. kind of the background yeah um so it's funny to see like oh hey that one was from who knows who was the first one totally but i'm assuming is it kind of like you got somebody and I don't know if that's kind of what you were saying you were doing but you know somebody focuses on kind of the background little noises what do you call those?
2: Just you know just musical embellishments you okay, mean like,
1: right, probably. like
2: strings and uh, beats and all that is that what you're right, referring right. to? Right
1: or just yeah. some odd noise that you know the singer's not singing it it's yeah. just in the background yeah. um, and so it's interesting how you you'll notice that in one artist and then if you start listening to some other stuff, you'll see somebody else's maybe go, hey, that's a cool one. So maybe that's a hot little noise. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm saying it right. Probably <laughs> not. But um, yeah. I've just noticed that with uh, with some different artists.
2: It's funny how they.
1: <sighs> yeah. It's like, hey, that will be good in here. You know? use
2: something for something else. And, right,
1: know, right. It's fun. Um, all right. So, tell me about, you know, the multi-Grammys that you've <laughs> been a part of, that you won. Um, so, what are some of yes. the accomplishments that you've had that, uh, that come to mind?
2: Well, um, you know, when I first got to Nashville as a student in college, I was doing quite a bit of co-writing, mostly in Christian and country. Mm-hmm. So, those were the big genres that will accept outside songs and so I was doing a lot of that and always my artist stuff and um, when I moved back to Kansas City I went to a um, songwriting extensive uh, in St. Louis just simply to learn it was a competition but they also had classes and just a lot of people from Nashville were there Uh, you know Tony Wood is a big writer that goes and Sue Smith is in charge of it and um, to my surprise ended up winning the competition so That kind of began my journey toward coming back to Nashville, which always felt like home anyway. So that kind of catapulted me into a week of co-writing with professionals out here. Wow, that's cool. And then doing some free recording out here um, as a writer. Uh, So with the purpose of pitching that song on uh, to other artists. And um, then after that, part of that prize package was to come to Nashville for GMA Immerse and that's another competition here and I ended up winning that competition as well um, with a different song I'm actually I'll plan on playing that one here Um, so both of those things if nothing else were kind of stepping stones toward just believing that you know I'm supposed to be here and there is a lot of musicians here there's a lot of brilliant writers but um, just kind of the confirmation that Mm -hmm. I'm going to have some sort of voice here. And you kind of got to believe that to be here because there's so much competition. Well, I'm (laughs) sure it's like, yeah, it
1: takes a little bit of confidence, Uh experience with confidence. Yeah. Some lucky breaks, some people who, you know, um, but then it also makes me think about, you know, um, get out there and just play. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you never know who's listening or who's recording or, you know, with all the social media and technology, you know, exactly. you could easily be heard and you didn't even know, you know, or in your yeah. case, you obviously didn't go. Maybe, maybe you did go say, Hey, I'm going to win this, but maybe you went no. just because you want to be a part <laughs> of it and, that's right. you know, and you end up winning and yeah. look what it did, you know, yeah. that kind of changed a little of your projection. So that's cool. Yeah. Now we're going to dive into the appraisals with Mickey Manus Make sure to stay tuned for the second part of the interview and another song with Melinda. Hello, Nashville. Today, actually tonight, I'm sitting down with Mickey Manus. He is a local appraiser and he's also a real estate agent. Um, I figured it would be a great perspective to um, ask an appraiser a lot of questions that agents are curious about, but also as sellers. And buyers, I know you're always um, curious about what your value is of your house, how um, people come to that value, and uh, what better you know guy to interview than one that is actually an agent as well. now we'll say this as a side note if you get any business from this Mickey <laughs> you have to send it to me. You got it man uh, so it was funny because I was like, well, you know I could find another. I was like, you know what?" Mickey's so experienced, he's a great guy. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm getting him 'cause it's it is good to have uh uh agents perspective as well. Right. And so Mickey, he was he sold us our first home.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh Natalie and I. He was uh oh. buyer's agent. Um oh. and well actually you were with some you were kind of tied referred through a rental company, I think, at the uh, time. Yeah.
3: And um, uh yeah, you were a referral to me from um, apartment selector. Yes.
1: Uh-huh. And so Back two things I remember about Mickey. Um, one, obviously, I'm still talking with you, and he's one of the reasons why I got into real estate. Um, but one thing that I really enjoyed, um, or I guess I should say I respected about you. So we were approved for X amount, and you remember we sat down. And we were like, man, you know, we're trying to be smart. And we were kind of planning on living on one income. And so we had asked Mickey, what's his advice? Hey, we're approved for this. And we actually found a house that kind of fit in that. But we also had credit card debt and stuff like that. And um, your advice was, you know, try to stay within your means. If you're trying to live on that one income budget, you need to start there now. And I always remembered that because fast forward, you know, Several years, one kid later, I get laid off, and I always remember thinking, "Man, you know, if we would have, if we had been twice this mortgage, we'd be in trouble." You were very glad you did that. I was, that and I was I was very thankful that Mickey was, you know, honest, because you know, uh, some people could say that agents would be looking at the money, and well, Mickey life, was looking out for us.
3: Life happens to anybody.
1: Yeah, and then uh, no who you are. and then he actually has an office in our old neighborhood. So I remember I'd stop by there I'd ask you questions about inspection and appraisal and everything. I mean, it's crazy, really, how much more time. If if
3: you'd have recorded all those conversations, we wouldn't even be doing this. I know it. I know it.
1: I know it. And, And, of course, what still floors me. Is how much more experience you have to have to get into being a licensed inspector or an appraiser, an appraiser yeah. versus a real estate agent. Yeah, you know, quite a bit. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so I have a lot of respect for Mickey. He's pretty much one of the guys that I, I, uh, you know, sought for wise counsel when I got in real estate, and uh, we still talk and I pick his brain quite often, asking the appraiser mm-hmm. questions. So I appreciate that. So I
3: got to tell you what um, before we get started. With questions, and I got to tell you one thing that I'm—I, I'm, you know, when you first um, came to me and started asking me about, you know, being an agent and all that, and I was like, immediately, man, you—you'll be a great real estate agent because you're very inquisitive, uh, you're very detailed-oriented, and I knew you would be a good one. So, and you've killed it. So congrats, kudos. To well,
1: you. appreciate it. I know we talked at one point, and you are like, "Dang it! I knew I should have like convinced you to hang your license with me." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, which obviously you you were and still are pretty busy with the <laughs> appraisers. One of, my, one
3: of my big regrets, no. <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: so tell so tell us a little bit about your you know what you do well as an appraiser, but you know just your experience. How long you have been in real estate and and appraising?
3: Oh goodness. Um, well, I, uh, my dad was a, um, a builder and developer when I was a kid. Um, and he also became a real estate broker, um, in the, in, in the seventies, eighties, um, uh, when I was growing up and I, I grew up carrying two befores for him and helping him build houses and so forth. And, um, so he took me to real estate and auctioneering school when I was 16 years old. And, uh, just to, you know get my feet wet and see if i liked it he what he didn't he didn't push me into it uh he just wanted to see if i liked it and uh and i ended up you know just kind of one of those things in your blood and um so uh, it's just we would always uh, that's kind of our conversation around the house was you know it's at least between he and i was uh was real estate oriented
1: i missed it how old did you say you were at that time 16 okay
3: yeah, he took me to real estate and auctioneering school in 16. Actually, he went to auctioneering school with me. We went together. We actually, I grew up in East Tennessee in the Tri-Cities area, and we drove to Nashville to come to real estate school. I mean, uh, uh, auctioneering school. And uh, so anyway, I had to, obviously I had to wait till I was 18 to get my license uh, for both of those. And uh, we did you know, quite a few estate sales in East Tennessee, and, and uh, I got my feet wet with him. Um, he changed the name from Manus Real Estate to Manus and Manus Real Estate. He was happy to do that. And, uh, so I, that's where I got my feet wet. And, um uh, and, and, uh, and then in 1991, I moved to Nashville. My sister was already here singing country music. And, uh, so I came here, not for music, uh, but just for a change. Uh, and, uh, I immediately put my uh, license with Coa Banker and an opportunity came available in 1991 for me to become uh, sort of a trainee. Um, uh, Licensure wasn't even in play at that point. Mm -hmm. We were still typing our appraisals on typewriters, taking, you know, 35 millimeter pictures and everything, getting them developed. Um, So that was, that was long ago. But um, I, I, took that opportunity and, you know, became a sort of a trainee and, uh, uh, I actually stayed, uh, training and I was actually trained by an SRA, uh, senior residential Appraiser through the appraisal institute and, um, um, and, uh, which is a, you know, a big deal. And, um, so I gained a lot of knowledge, um, and, uh, you're only supposed to, you only have to be a trainee for about two and a half years, um. I actually elected to stay one for a little over five years, um, just because it was just a wealth of knowledge I was learning and getting, you know, sort of in depth um, than just your average right person. So uh, and so then, what
1: made you go, what made you get into that when you were kind of doing the auction real estate stuff, right? You were a licensed realtor at the time? Yep. And then yep. you just jumped into the yep, appraisal it, part? I just
3: thought it was a good fit. Okay. Um, it was an opportunity. Um, and I was still young, you know, I was 21, (laughs) 22, you know, so it it was an opportunity while I was still young. Uh, and, and I think kind of a light bulb went off in my head when I took my real estate exam, I scored the highest on the appraisal section. Mm. (laughs) So it's kind of always, uh, you know, I guess been an aptitude of of mine, I guess, you know, uh, or an interest I would say. Um, and so. Uh, that's what kind of drove me to it, I guess. So, and
1: then you kind of pretty much balanced. You did real estate. You still do real estate. I've always
3: done, yeah. And, both, yeah. And, and I love it that way. Um, it has its challenges for mm-hmm. sure, uh, from a time perspective. Um, but I, I just I, I love doing both real estate and. Uh, appraisals, um, and
1: every time I talked to him, like the other day, I was like, "Well, dude, if you're too busy, you know, you can give me a shout, <laughs> yeah. man. I'm always here. Referral dude, fees. There's,
3: there's only a couple. Of, there's a couple of guys that uh, I would send, you know, stuff to, and you're one of them. So. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm
1: just waiting on that first one. Yeah. Um, so, what is uh, one of the toughest parts of being an appraiser?
3: Um, the stress of um, deadlines. Um because you know, people are it, you, you you know, you, you sort of have people's lives in your hands for a brief moment. you know, they have a contract on a house. now this is if it's a purchase. Um, you know, there's been times where people were sitting with their stuff in a U-haul, you know, kind of waiting on a last minute appraisal that was ordered, you know, sometimes things fall through the cracks and, Appraisals ordered just a little bit late, so I got to rush it and that kind of thing. Now that doesn't happen very often, but yeah, or if you it does do, you get
1: compensated for a little bit more. Now, yeah, a right? little bit more
3: usually. Um, but but even at that, uh, you know, there are situations where an appraisal is just tough. It's right. a tough one, so it takes a little longer to, to complete, um, and everybody's waiting on you. And, and uh, that's a, a lot of times that's the last. So um, you've been
1: doing appraisals for how long?
3: Since nineteen ninety one.
1: What's the math? <laughs> 91, 26, 26, think, okay. 26 years, yeah.
3: wow. same, same amount of time uh, I've been doing real estate. And you, uh,
1: man, you've seen it all, right? Uh, I mean, well, golly, know, I don't
3: know about all, but I've seen a lot. A lot. That's pretty
1: awesome. <laughs> so,
3: yeah. So,
1: where do you see the industry? Obviously, you've seen Nashville up and down, and obviously we're in an uptick now. Um, yeah. Where do you see the industry? Kind of what's your feel pulse for the next... Five years. Are there any concerns about you know the real estate industry around here? And um, with that.
3: well, I, you know what, we I've had this conversation a couple of times with with different people, and um, you know, back in the housing boom uh, in its peak in two thousand six um, in in Middle Tennessee, it was a different, it was a different feel. Uh, it was a different situation. Uh, Lending criteria was driving that a lot. um, And federal guidelines was driving that a lot. Um, You know, now it's completely different. Nashville has become such a, uh, well, I mean, we've been on, what top 10 right for almost places everything to live in different places at yeah different times. For, for a long time now and there's what 75 to 100 people moving here a day that's at mm-hmm. least that's the figures yes. i'm getting yep. um and so and that's not showing any signs of you know we're in a major growth pattern right uh right now and have been uh so you know it's going to take sp- something pretty substantial to to stop that at this point now where that where that stops you know your guess is as good as mine, um, just because I'm an appraiser doesn't mean I have that answer. Nobody does. Um, I am concerned about values going up so fast mm-hmm. uh, but this time around, demand is driving that um, and don't
1: you do you see over the last what six months that it's leveling out a little bit? Uh,
3: a little within but not certain
1: price points.
3: Within certain price points, but but it's still going up. There's not very many places around Middle Tennessee right now that's not appreciating. Uh, I mean, and for example, I just did. Uh, I'm not going to uh, name the the subdivision for for you know mm-hmm. to to. I want to do that, but uh, I just just finished an appraisal today, um, where um, the appreciation rate within a sub market it was a it was a specific sort of square footage range uh within a subdivision um that uh increased 13 and percent in the last 10 months
1: wow an average used to be that what was the number they used to say 3% to 4% oh, three to four percent increase yeah. earlier or something? Yeah,
3: yeah, three to four percent. Now that and used that's to be within
1: a, the last ten months. Yeah,
3: that's in the last ten months.
1: So with that is I mean, that sale to
3: price, sale price to list price ratios, and what that means is if if a house is listed for you know one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, that the the sale price list price ratio, uh, if it's a hundred and you know five percent, then that means obviously it's. Selling for more than what they're listing right. for, and the, and there are so many so many buyers are, you know, fighting to to win the bids on these properties, uh, and that's just high demand. It's it's causing that to happen.
1: So is it more the in that situation? Is it the the buyers in a shortage, or is it the is it in, is there new construction in that subdivision?
3: No. Okay. Not in so this particular one. Using, mm-hmm. Okay. So, no. Now now when new construction comes into play. That do, that. I am seeing that level things out just a little bit in the existing market.
1: So do you do you see that that new construction is increasing values that are selling at the same time, or is it kind of leveling it? In
3: out? most cases, yes, um, because they'll be priced and they'll stare. You know, the builders will stair step it up as much as they can. You know, without being unreasonable. Uh, in most cases, um, but there have been a couple of scenarios where I've seen um, you know new construction. Selling about what the existing market is, so these buyers that were in the existing market are now going over if they have the time, you know, to wait on the construction, and they want to do that, uh, you know, they're they're going over to new construction in some pla- in some cases. Right.
1: So, what's the process as far as um, a buyer is working with a lender, and then it's appraisal time. So how does the selection process go from you getting the um, request for the appraisal? It's how do they select ra- It's
3: completely you? random now. Uh, I'm on a, like, for example, with my client base, uh, which is you know, uh, mainly lenders, uh, I do some things for attorneys and so forth and divorce cases and, and tax uh, cases, but, uh, but mainly um, uh, lender mm-hmm. work uh, that I do. Uh, and it's completely random. They'll, um, uh, I'm on a panel with several other appraisers, and they just basically rotate it. Um, and the the loan officer typically doesn't even know who has
1: it. So so, go back in about what ten years ago or seven years ago was it? How was the process a little different as far as you know? A lender could call you up directly and say, "Hey, you know," was it wasn't that easy.
3: They could, and um, you know what I. I I understand why all that happened. Uh, I think it was, you know, I I think it was um, uh, both good and bad uh, Mm -hmm. of of what's where we're at now. Um, I like the fact that we have a lot more appraiser independence now. Um, I don't like how we got here, um, but I like that is a good outcome of, of where we're at. Right.
1: So, what are the checks and balances now with lenders um, and appraisers if it comes in short, or you know, just to make sure a, a, a buyer's buying a house? Obviously, always say, "Hey, you got appraisal contingency for your protection," because you have to be aggressive in a lot of cases to get the house. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what's the checks and balances to reassure buyers that they are protected by that appraisal?
3: Well. Um the appraisal is not there to protect the buyer. It's not there to protect really. It's it is a unbiased opinion of value. The appraiser um, is not an advocate for either the lender or the buyer, um, and they are a. That's why they are independent, uh, and they are a third party, unbiased. Um, and that's the way, that's the safest place for an appraiser to be. And that, in turn, protects the buyer, protects the lender, you know.
1: So the contingency, I guess what I'm saying, yeah, the contingency protects. It's not so much the appraisers there to protect you. Exactly. Right. Okay. Yep. Okay. That makes yeah.
3: Sense. It. It. sense. It, it really is a, you know, I like the system the way it is now. Like I said, I don't like how we got here. Uh, but we do have a lot more appraiser independence than we used to have. Um, it's uh, it's just a better it's a better situation. Uh, and um,
1: um, well, and so now the lenders do they still have? I don't hear much about it because I think sometimes when it's flagged we're not notified and it's funny because i have to remind myself as i'm talking to you i'm like yeah he's a realtor as well so you have that you deal with this yeah on the other side because obviously you're not doing your own appraisals yeah um but there's still checks and balances to where you know in some neighborhoods where if it's just so crazy out there that it, it, the system's going to flag and then they're going to ask for a review or are they still that's still in they place they still
3: do that yep absolutely um there are still reviewers out there now i can tell you with I, I'm very fortunate to have some good clients uh, on the lending side, um, and they have protocol in place where they have um, guys that work in-house at corporate um, who have been review appraisers for you know 20 years or more um, and know that side of the industry very, very well. They really know their stuff. Uh, and they, and so they sort of, uh, they're, they're sort of the, the in between, um, uh, between, uh, the secondary market and, you know, and the lender as well. So they make sure that I dot all my I's and cross all my T's before an appraisal ever gets sent, you know, anywhere. Um, you know, you know, they don't, they certainly, um, have to, um, uh, they do not tell me how to do my job, you know. As the original appraiser, um, they're looking at use pat violations or anything like that 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 could come up. They're looking, you know, for typographical errors. They're looking at errors in adjustments or things like that. Um, uh, and uh, and they do a great job, right?
1: So uh, they make
3: uh, me stay on my toes,
1: right? On that note, from a seller's perspective. How well are agents doing in this market? In pricing it realistically, you know, not taking advantage of going, hey, the market's great, we're gonna get all kinds of buyers. Because I know for me, you factor in a lot of different variables, but at the same time, you still gotta go. It's gotta appraise. Sure, you can get a cash offer, but the reality is, most cash offers are not gonna be at purchase price, anyways. So, you gotta factor that in. What's your What are you seeing in general? Are agents, you know, being realistic with their with their listing values,
3: I think most are. Um, I, I think it's a very difficult situation right now to, in pricing properties. Um, but I tell you what, the I just that one of those appraisals that I just finished today, um, I got to get. I'm, I'm not going to mention the the agent's name, but but uh, kudos to her. She she listed a property. It was a very difficult property to list and find a price for. It was a uh, you know a two bedroom house in. In, in a, there were no, no two bedroom sales uh, in, within a 15 month period or so. Uh, and for an agent, that's very difficult to find. And there was a, there was a, um, there's probably about a 15 to 20% difference in the same square footage range uh, for a three bedroom versus a two bedroom. So she had nowhere to pull data from. Man, she nailed it. I don't know. I don't know how she did it, but she did. She nailed it, and uh, so it, it was. It, that was. That's always good to see right. when when an agent actually took the time, you know, to really as kind of as much as they can, as right? much as they can, and right. to really kind of figure that out because sometimes it's really t- right. difficult.
1: There's been a couple. I remember one in Creve Hall, and I, I, I think I probably picked your brain about it. Um, I know you're usually pretty busy to try to catch a last minute. Um, what do you call it? Desk appraisal. Um, but I remember kind of looking at everything, doing a little factoring, and I was like, all right, I think that. Um, reached out to a different appraiser, and they yeah. came in over here, and I was like, ah, that's too low. Well, the sellers want to come over here because they had the flexibility. Hey, let's shoot over here. Mm-hmm. Well, we ended up landing about where I was, and the appraisal cleared. And, of course, it makes you feel good as an agent because yeah. it yeah. is tough because it's like, you know, there's just so many different... There can be so many... This neighborhood... You know, you could you know spend fifteen minutes and
3: well. Another note on that because I mean, you know, you can list right now. Especially if you're in a in an existing. uh, I mean, if you're in a a listing of property, um, you know, even if you have the listing, even if you have it priced right about where it's supposed to be or should be, the 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 high demand. If you if you're in a market where you're getting you know fifteen offers within five days you know, or or even less sometimes, um, then that's, you know, <laughs> that's kind of out the window because it gets bid up. Now, what they have, you know, a lot of times I'm seeing a lot of things come across my desk where, you know, buyers will offer to pay if the appraisal comes in mm-hmm. less than, you know, the contracted price, they'll pay so much in between that up to a certain amount.
1: It's almost like every little other multiple offer you're going and, Really, I was. I made a note the other day to go through some of these multiple offers and representing the sellers, and going, "Hey, I like that verbiage because you know somebody can get a little creative in in some of those, so much over and this and that, and you know it's just little tweaks like that that can go okay. I like absolutely that, and
3: I know. and I and I'm I'm privy, you know. I that's. That helps me as an appraiser yes. because I only get to see the ones that were successful. Right, right, right. So you, <laughs> you know, know what works. So right? uh, you know, I always read those, uh, those verbiages.
1: <laughs> so how much interaction um, do you like from agents? So say I'm about to list a house, I get with the seller, and I'm asking, hey, what are all these upgrades and everything? What's the best way to go about communicating that to the appraiser? Being there in person, I've heard making sure it's on MLS, um, a spreadsheet and a breakdown, you know, what all, when you're busy, yeah. Yeah. Um, what's the most, you know, efficient way to make sure you see that when you're doing the values? The most
3: efficient way is to have it on MLS or either, you know, in a spreadsheet format or PDF or whatever, um, and um, or either bring it to the appointment uh, for the appraisal and hand it to the appraiser. Um, it's, it's very difficult for, uh, an appraiser to stand there because I can tell you right now, my, everything I do now is electronic. I do, I I fill out, you know, I used to carry a clipboard and write everything out. Now everything's done on my phone, uh, or, or an iPad. Uh, the sketch, the whole nine yards, that way it, it, you know, I just upload it to the cloud and it downloads into, into my software. I don't have to retype things that I used to have to retype. Um, and so uh, now there, there is a recording feature that I have used a couple of times uh, to have those kinds of conversations so that I could go back and listen to it and then put that in the report. But the very most efficient way is to have it, you know, I love it when I see a real estate agent have, uh, you know, a PDF in, in, the, uh, in the MLS um, listing um, and that has a breakdown of all the renovations, everything that's been done in that property, you know, within reason, uh, you know, that they have access to.
1: And if it's multiple offer, the best way to communicate that, throw comments in Realtor Comments or communicate Absol- that again absolutely, with Absolutely.
3: And you can also uh, communicate that when the appraiser calls for an appointment. Uh, that's important, actually, for the, for the appraiser. No, because that, that helps the appraiser gauge demand, uh, because if they're looking at a list price and the, and, and the contract price is, is well above, you know, it's it's pretty common right now that that is due to high demand and there was multiple offer scenarios in there. Um, and I always ask that for my comparables properties, too. When I'm calling to verify mm-hmm. sales, I ask I ask that very same question to the listing agents of those comparable sales, uh, because it, it has to be conducive to what's going on in that market and that in that trend, um, and that's a good way to find that out for as an appraiser.
1: In your experience, if appraisers, if the appraisal does come in short, and
3: I like which, how you say short.
1: Yeah, sh- yeah, whatever the best <laughs> word is. I can remember, you know, I had a couple conversations, one in this neighborhood. It's always
3: short right? when the appraiser comes in low. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I get what you're saying, yeah.
1: Uh, now, actually, I'm curious. So being on uh, representing buyers, have you come across some appraisers that are short? And do you, are you, you know, have you been able to argue them? Because you have such a great experience.
3: I just had that experience. Okay. I had a closing last week on a very difficult house to appraise. I did not, um, I felt sorry for the appraiser that got that house. Uh, But my client bought uh, a house that was built in the 1800s. um, And that a, a real estate agent actually bought and renovated. Uh, remodeled, actually, um, and um, beautiful home on some acreage uh, out in, in Lebanon. Well, um, the appraiser uh, or the appraisal came in uh, a few, you know, probably $15,000 lower than, than the contract price that we had. And of course, you know, I, I pulled comps, <laughs> you know, for my client, um, and, uh, and, but I knew the market, uh, I knew exactly where that thing was located, what schools it was zoned for, uh, and so forth. Um, and, and the appraiser that did the appraisal used, uh, a couple of sales that were on the other side of interstate 40 zone for Lebanon high school and not central. Um, and, uh, and, and it was, you know, ours was closer to right. Providence, that was way up on the north side of, uh, you know, in the north side of uh, Wilson County.
1: So you kind of knew what complete, you were talking I, oh, about. Oh, I pulled land. Right, I right. pulled
3: land sales. Uh, you know,
1: did he? Did the did the appraiser have, know what he was up against? Well, in the that thing.
3: Scenario? Well, the thing about it is, is I did. We did not go back. You know, the okay. the appraiser. Uh, it was not. I. I you know, I could have. I could have, uh, I could have uh, made some very good points, um, but it would have delayed our closing. Number one, my client did not want to delay the closing. Neither did the seller. Um, And so we left it alone. Uh, But on another note, I have to be very careful Mm -hmm. because when I'm doing real estate, I have to take my appraiser hat off. Of course, I have that experience and the knowledge, but I have to take my appraiser hat off. Um, And, um, uh, you know, it just has to be that way. And um, so I have to when I'm a real estate agent, I'm a real estate agent. When I'm an appraiser, I'm an appraiser. Right, because um,
1: so what's your experience? If you have some, like I, again, one that I called you about, and I was I was livid because it was in my neighborhood, my same house. I was very confident in I priced on the higher side, but where we had it under contract, I was confident that that I mean definitely should hit that. We had it didn't quite a bit short. Yeah. And because agents talked outside on the other sides, it cornered my buyers into a situation to where they had to, we had to go forward. It was FHA loan. Um, so, but in something like that, when an agent is confident that, look, I need, I want to fight this. How receptive do you think um, appraisers are to going back and hearing that? Or is there some, hey, look, I did my job. I'm busy. I don't have I don't have time to go back and review all this. Um, what's your I mean I know this is I, I know you wouldn't do that cuz I know you well enough and you got right. a lot of integrity in what you do. Yeah. But what's your experience and feel of, of encouraging agents to say, "Hey, look, go for it or move on," you know?
3: Um, it's a crap shoot. And I hate to say that. It just is. Um, it is very, very difficult. Um, And I don't want to speak for every appraiser Mm -hmm. because I can't. Uh, uh, But I do know quite a few of them that, you know, it's very difficult to get anything reversed. Because they don't want two appraisals floating out there with two separate values. Um, And that's unfortunate. Um, I can tell you right now that I have... uh, There's been several times that I've had lenders and actually underwriters actually call me and email me and whatever and just thank me for being approachable and thank me for, for actually being able to have the conversation. Um, that's the best. It helps everybody right. when the appraiser is that way. Um, and, but you know what? I know a lot of appraisers that are that way as well. Mm-hmm you know, so it really just depends. Uh, Personality is a lot of that. Um, you know, appraisers tend to be somewhat reclusive, kind of like accountants. I don't know, (laughs) you know, a little, 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 little bit reclusive. Um, and so it's, sometimes it's difficult to have those kinds of conversations. Uh, Obviously, I'm am not that way. I'm a real right. estate agent, so I'm not I'm not reclusive. I don't care. I'll have that conversation with anybody. Well, because um, you're,
1: again, you're confident. Yeah, what you're Yeah, I mean so that I'm like, allowed to it. have it with. Yeah,
3: <laughs> I'll have it with anybody that I'm allowed to have it with. Now, uh, there's you know there's certain guidelines that you have to go by in terms of having those conversations. But um, but um,
1: so when you do have an appraisal that does not reach the contract price, is that better than calling it short? Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> So how do you go about, um, is that a tough thing to do? Who are you communicating with um, when that does
3: happen? Uh, well, we just turn our appraisal order in, um, and when they get it, they see it. Um, and that's how it works now. Um, we Usually uh, there's no conversation about value. Uh, i not supposed to have that kind of conversation. Um, and so we just basically turn our appraisal in, and it is what it is. In terms of our opinion, um, and then uh, if you know they will process the appraisal from there sent to their um, uh, re- review department uh, or their their uh, uh, risk management department, right. and they will uh, take a look at the appraisal. Um, and usually, you know, and if they want to ask me any questions, then the lender can do that uh, in terms of you know, anything I've done in the in the report. Uh, but there's no communication with the buyer or the seller or the agents or anything like that on value.
1: Which I, I would imagine in your case, again, knowing you and a good appraiser, you're probably not having a whole lot of conversations, right? I mean, I know there's at times when it didn't reach that contract price, but I knew, you know, going in, I prepared my sellers that hey, you know, of course multiple offer came in this high and, you know, you, you you, that's our job as agents to prepare them for that, and so there's been times it was like, oh man, I'd love to go in battle, but yeah, I don't think I'm gonna find a whole
3: lot of comps. I'm I can usually, yeah. I can usually tell right. now, that nowadays,
1: based on that I can first look
3: combo, everybody's nervous as a cat. Well, and I, and again, it
1: just like you were saying, the reality of it being reversed is unlikely. So, it, again, a reminder to me of saying, hey, get all that stuff together when you're listing it, you know, when you're doing your listing presentation. Absolutely. So you're on
3: top of it. And and if you're uncertain, get an appraisal. Right. I mean, I do appraisals for realtors all the time Mm -hmm. um, on unique properties or properties that, uh, you know, where there's maybe even a disagreement between the listing agent and the seller of where this thing needs to be listed at. Um, And so they recommend an appraisal and i'll go in and do an appraisal and that
1: takes a lot of because i've had that done takes a lot of pressure off
3: the listing agent Mm -hmm. absolutely
1: because you can do uh what do you call it is it a debt is that did i say it right desk appraisal or desk
3: review yeah you can do a desktop A desktop Desktop. um yeah or you can do what we'll call a drive-by basically okay now it really depends on what product you need um, based it, it really depends on what product you need based on the information that you have, right? And and the confidence and accuracy that that you have in it. So if you if you think you have, if you're confident in the accuracy of the information you have, the data you have on the property, such as square footage and so forth, um, really honestly, no reason to get a complete full appraisal right. on that unless you want that to present. You know that's
1: mm-hmm. it. So uh, from square footage standpoint. You get five appraisers come in, they all measure it differently. How come? Now, don't granted, know. I'm making up a number of five, but you obviously have seen where there's different don't measurements.
3: Know. I don't have a good answer for that.
1: It does happen, though, right?
3: <laughs> <laughs> they went to a different school? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Forgot to add and carry the one? Or they were doing common one's using core math? <laughs> and one's using inches. I don't know. <laughs> no, they, you, you're exactly right, though. Um, that, but they all should be very close. You're you're gonna get a different measurement. I don't care if you have ten go out there. You're gonna ha- it's probably gonna be different every single time, uh, but they should be close um, if the person knows what they're doing.
1: It's not really it, it's not gonna be that much off to where it really would affect. No,
3: the now I mean I, I, I have seen s- some situations where an appraiser may have um, accidentally included uh, an open space area that went up to the second level uh and they're not supposed to do that you know that that was a, it was an honest honest mistake they shouldn't do that but but it happens mm-hmm. um and uh and then i you know come behind and yeah
1: there's that whole equation of height and this and i remember well, if I you had can't one walk though.
3: on it you can't count it right it's kind of a rule <laughs> yeah well, and you count was it on the main level, but not the upper yeah, level. Yeah, well, there was one,
1: but it was a certain percentage too that it has to be eight feet, and I don't remember. That'd that it would be five calculate.
3: feet on the side. Or was an FHA that was FHA a different
1: evaluation in the square footage no. up top? Okay. No, no. Speaking of that, FHA versus conventional nowadays, is there any concern? Actually, I had just uh, sold a house, and right off the bat, the seller's like, oh, no, FHA, no, no, because they had an experience that an FHA was so strict. Before and I let them know that that's not the case. But what are the major differences between the two type of appraisers, appraisals?
3: Well, honestly, there's really not that. There's really not that much. Di- I mean, there is a difference, but there's not that much difference. There's there are uh, uh, most things that an appraiser would look for in an FHA. Well, they also have to look for in conventional, um, and, and you know. Th- you can't have a safety issue in a conventional, unless you're getting a different type of, you know, fixer upper loan or whatever. If you're getting a regular conventional mortgage, the, the lender doesn't want you going in that house uh, with their major safety hazard, you mm-hmm. know, in the house. Uh, so I've had to bring those up. Or structural conditions, um, you know, that that's an issue with conventional or any type of loan uh, if you're doing an appraisal. Um, but there, there is certain uh, – there, there are certain criteria that FHA requires, uh, certain inspection protocol and so forth. Um, but like I said, it, it overlaps with conventional a lot. There are differences, but um, –
1: Nothing – I mean, I'm not really seeing much of an impact in, in much. And like you said – the stuff that they do point out, it's like, okay, you know, paint a little bit here and there. and
3: Most of it should have been know, done anyway windows, before right. you list the house. <laughs> the
1: only major difference is the FHA will stick with the house for four months?
3: Uh, six, I think. Six, okay. Yeah, I believe six.
1: So when you are figuring and factoring in multiple offers, how much does just that multiple factor variable have in the price? Is there like a basic percentage based on how many offers or – um, no,
3: no, no. It, it's it's really based on what is the trend of the market at that particular time. Uh, and like I said, when I pull my comparable sales, um, I'm probably going to be if it's if if that's what the market is doing, I'm going to be able to see that when I pull other sales. And it's also going to correspond with the listings because you might have eight listings but seven of them are going to be under contract if that's, if that's going on, because that happens all the time. You, is, you follow me? Right. Uh, because, I mean, if you have multiple offers on a house, uh, on a property, uh, let's just say it's in a subdivision, um, and uh, you're trying to figure out what the trend for that – if that's really what is going on in the market, if, is demand driving that really, or is it just an anomaly in the market – uh, for this particular piece of property for whatever reason. Um, then when you pull out, when you, when you look at the market, when you pull sales and you look, also look at the active, uh, that don't have contracts on them, you look at the actives with contracts or the pendings, you're going to be able to see that and follow that, uh, trend in the market. You'll be able to tell. Um, it's just you know I don't know if it's I don't well, know if I'm explaining that as I'm,
1: you know of course as I'm thinking and I know when I the can tell
3: f- because I've been doing it right. 26 years right I'm not it's sure just I like you have that an again.
1: automated you know formula in your your brain to calculate that variance and stuff well like I can that, see which,
3: it's like you know it, it's like these math wizards can do Sudoku I can't do a Sudoku puzzle but right. they can see it I can't right right <laughs> you right. know but I can see trends in a market just by looking at data.
1: And which, I mean, what's the average, like, so in Nashville, what is the average experience in appraisers that are doing a lot of this stuff? Is it younger, older, 26 years experience, or does it a wider It's wider a range?
3: wide range from new to old. Uh, I will say that during, just after the downturn, we did lose quite a few experienced appraisers um, because of... Um, the way we got to where we are now, a lot of a lot of business began to go through AMC's, um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to throw AMC's into the bus. There's some there's some good ones out there, uh, a lot of good ones out there now, you know. But uh, early on, uh, they were taking 30 35 percent of our fee that we were normally charging to do an appraisal, just because we had to go through them because it was mandated. Um, And they were just a go-between. Right. Um, And, you know, that really caused uh, some very seasoned appraisers to honestly get out of the business. Mm -hmm. It was was just, they'd been in a long time and just decided that was the time.
1: Well, nowadays, though, I mean, a lot of I'm glad
3: I stuck with it. You know, I had some very... I was very fortunate. I was one of the fortunate ones. I had some great. But you
1: had a good mixture of your real estate plus that. So I had I'm some sure very.
3: I had some great clients um, that decided not. You know, they didn't go the AMC route. They uh, they formed. You know, their own panels and mm-hmm. stuff, which was completely uh, within the guideline the federal guidelines. But a lot of lenders chose not to do that. So early now, on.
1: So nowadays, like when you are busy, do you kind of jump on Zillow and do you use their Zestimate and just call it that?
3: Yeah right. <laughs> You're probably like, Sorry, did no, you really just you ask just ask that? me that? You can edit that out. No.
1: <laughs> Actually, so how? I mean, obviously, you. I mean, your experience. You never even probably even consider a testament. I don't either. No. But obviously, there's buyers looking
3: at it. Is there any? I, click, any I clicked it? on it before for giggles, you know. But <laughs> you know, I, I, the, the difference is, is that there is just no, you know, there's no substitute for putting your eyes on a property. Right. Uh, there, there never will be, that I'm aware of, you know. Um, there's just no substitute, and for having that.
1: those conversations with those other agents, exactly. with multiple offers, and hey, what were some of these upgrades? Because you know, exactly, if you're having you know a tough time well, with that value, you're going to dig more. As an,
3: well, as and an some appraiser. of these, some of these automated valuation, you know, these bi- billion-dollar algorithms that that are coming out. Um, I mean, a lot of times they can be fairly accurate,
1: mm-hmm. and a, in a subdivision like this,
3: yeah, exactly. Right. But but you get get into a foreclosure market. Okay, if the market begins to go back down right. and foreclosures begin to rise and you have a split market, you have an arm's length market, and you have a foreclosure market, and both of them are separate from one another, those, those algorithms don't differentiate from that. Right. So they'll pull foreclosure sales at the same time they're pulling arm's length sales. And the value will be inaccurate.
1: So, what's the difference in a tax appraised value versus an appraised value? That makes sense because you know a lot. of They've raised taxes in Wilson County over the last couple of years, and everybody's like, "No, no, my house isn't worth that." Yeah. Um, and I looked at some, and I'm like, "Yeah, it is. Our values have increased." Yeah. But but then sometimes it is off. So, what's the? Is there? Is there a discrepancy in there?
3: Sometimes there is. I actually just did a, a tax, or an appraisal. A guy was contesting his appraisal mm. okay. uh, on a house uh, over in uh, West Nashville, and it was it was quite a large home. And um, the guy had an appraisal, a tax appraisal, that was uh, a good. I can't remember the exact amount now, but it was it was up in the four, four five five million dollar range, I think. Okay, and. I did an appraisal on the property substantially unbiased and substantially less than that. It was just, uh, you know, and and they had actually already reduced it uh, just from the data that he supplied them. I don't, you know, I I don't want to, I'm not going to throw them under the bus, but it's just, it happens from time to time. I don't think it's, I don't think it's uh, extremely common, you know, uh, for them to be that high. Mm -hmm. Or that low. It could have been the other way around, you know. You never know.
1: So I know there's a lot of buyers and sellers out there that are looking for easy things, least expensive options to update in their house. What are some, a few that you would advise from your
3: perspective? Um, well, one of the things that, uh, like I said earlier, one of the things I've learned um, in actually doing renovations because like, i've done about 15 or so of them um and i've done some of them have been flips and some of them have been for clients that i listed property for. that's weird i'm so having
1: deja vu did yeah exactly before? we just had that conversation oh yeah we <laughs> did because it
3: wasn't recording
1: <laughs> <laughs> we had to we have to say this again yes yeah,
3: so, so anyway <laughs> what did i say the word no i'm just kidding. Um, but anyway, um, now I've lost train of thought. <laughs> know. Thanks, man. I knew I would do it, <laughs> but I had to throw <laughs> the
1: Uber in there. So you uh, have done fifteen uh, flips uh, and so. rehabs, yeah, yes. yeah.
3: And um, uh, but one of the one of the first things I learned, uh, one of the first lessons I learned, is that uh, one of the best things you can do if you if you're especially if you're on a low a low budget, just trying to get a house ready, you know, looking better and and a little bit more updated or whatever. Uh, the hardware in the house, all the door handles, the hinges, the, um, you know, the cabinet hardware, uh, lighting, all those kinds of things, um, take those out and bring them up to what's trending in the market right now, whether it be oil red bronze or new bronze or brushed nickel or whatever it is uh, in that particular market that's trending Uh, and that can make a huge difference on a very low budget. Um, and you can, you can put, uh, I mean, it depends on the size of the house, but you can put, you know, um, some decent lighting, uh, you know, with fans and so forth, um, in an average, you know, 1500 square foot house or so, um, you know, in the hardware in there, you can usually do that for a thousand or less.
1: And if you're brave, which I don't think you have to be, just turn the breaker off. You can t- switch out some so much of that stuff, you know, like the Hollywood lights or, you know, there's still things I see in our bathroom. Put some trim around it. And know, even if you
3: that. can't, electricians don't right. charge that much to put light fixtures in.
1: Or you got so many different contractors that are out there that'll, you know, Yeah, or <laughs>
3: handy, handyman, handy guys. handy yeah, all that. Yeah, but that's just, that's one of the things. But there, there's a multitude of things that you can do that are fairly, you know, landscaping, you know that's fairly low cost if you keep it simple
1: now if somebody spends $7000 on granite or 5000 on flooring what's the exact number in value that they'll get out of that when they sell it can you tell me that
3: 3000 okay no cool. i'm just kidding <laughs> i have no clue so <laughs> that's that's one that many <laughs> want to know hey well how, if i'm put
1: this into it you know and it, there's always that balance Sometimes, it depends on
3: a, a lot of factors, different things, right? yeah.
1: And sometimes you just want to be like, "Hey, look, just go enjoy the house and enjoy the flooring." Don't always <laughs> think investment, investment. You know, you're going to live there. You never know what the future holds. So, well, um, don't some, go some crazy. Of, with some
3: that, of what you know. get out of things that you buy, um, especially if they are considered maybe a super adequacy um, and so forth, a lot of what you get out of those is your own enjoyment,
1: right? So, what are some of your biggest biggest pet peeves as an Appraiser?
3: Pet peeves. That's a very good question. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) MLS listings not being filled out properly. That's like, that makes my job very difficult as an appraiser.
1: Are there certain items within the MLS that are not filled out properly?
3: Um, If the house is a 2 store, if the house is a... One story with a basement, don't pretend it's a two story home because <laughs> it's not.
1: <laughs> I've, I've seen some out there. I remember one, it was great price point and everything. And they had it, they only had it listed as a one bedroom. Yeah. And I was like, hey, let's go look at this today. And then I'll see if you like it, and then I'll let the agent know. <laughs> I know maybe that was not right. I don't know, but it was yeah. my mistake, you know. That you um, know what? Because I mean, that can happen. I mean, that could wow. Can you imagine that though? Listening yeah, no. Because that's not going to catch anybody's searches. No, you know? uh,
3: no, and, and that you know, when in in the electronic world that we live in now, our research is only as good as the data that's before us right. that we're searching from, and so it's extremely important. Um, to have your data in there correctly as an agent, um, not only for your client's best interest, um, but for everybody else that's depending on that data. You know, obviously we as an appraisers, uh, we have to verify data and so forth. But um, something that I might have used as a comp might not even come up in my search if that data is not in there.
1: How about whenever a uh, listing's closed out, and some people put how much allowance they put for closing costs, and some people don't. Do y'all pay attention to
3: that a whole lot? Yeah, that's important to be in there. It's to to make to have good checks and balances on the market. Mm-hmm. It's important for those that, to be in there because now, of course, when we verify sales, um, we're supposed to verify sales. I do, um, but when we have those conversations. Um, that's one of the questions that's asked of agents. Um, were there any seller concessions? Um, but it would be very, very helpful if, if those are put in there uh, correctly.
1: So 26 years in the industry, what's one of the most bizarre things you've seen in a house?
3: Wow. One of the most bizarre I'm going to have to think on that one for a minute.
1: We don't have time to think. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen a lot of bizarre things, um, but... So what's one of the largest houses you've appraised?
3: Sixteen, seventeen thousand 17,000 square feet, something like that. Maybe a little larger than that.
1: And you had to, like...
3: Had to measure every bit. Measure
1: all... So that was obviously a lot more expense and appraisal costs, right?
3: Yeah, it was. It, it was uh, quite a bit more, and uh, it took took quite a bit more time.
1: <laughs> Cause you had a cash buyer, so you don't have to worry about the <laughs> appraisal, buyer, right?
3: Yeah. How yeah. many actually? How
1: many? Um, how many cash offers are actually doing appraisals? Or most of them
3: just kind of? I mean, obviously, I it. don't see all of them, but right. Uh, I mean, I do get them from time to time. You know. Um, I mean, uh, cash buyers are you know. A lot of times they're pretty savvy people, um, and they want to know their investments protected. But, but a lot of times too, uh, I think sometimes they'll have real estate agents in their corner that they actually, you know really trust as well. So, right, it really just depends on the property probably, uh, how unique it might be or whatever.
1: What's one of the most expensive homes you've appraised?
3: Oh, in Nashville I would say I can't remember, probably seven seven million or so. Something like that. I haven't done in I haven't done any of the big, you know, $15, $20 million dollar You States. just sell those. Yeah, I just sell those. Right. I don't I don't mess with the appraisal <laughs> on that one.
1: <laughs> um so bizarre stories or bizarre homes you've seen. Bizarre stuff. Anything coming to mind?
3: Uh, well, I don't know about Bizarre, but... Um, and I don't know why this pops in, in my head when you ask me about Bizarre, but um, I was doing a refinance appraisal one time. Um, and I get there, and now this was this was way before the downturn, And so we had, we were able to, to, to have conversations with our clients, you know, the loan officers themselves and so forth. And so I get to this property and this, uh, probably, I don't know, 25 year old girl, uh, or so answers the door in her underwear. And I just backed up (laughs) And and I turned my back and I said, can you please put your clothes on, man? (laughs) It's not going to make any difference.
1: (laughs) She was hoping it would raise the price.
3: Yeah. But then um, what was funny about that is five minutes later, I get a call from the loan officer. And he's just laughing his butt off. Did she answer the door? Did she actually follow through with that?
1: (laughs) Oh, so she actually said She, she told
3: a, her loan officer oh she was going to do that. And I'm like, oh my, oh, my goodness People gracious. will do anything. So I'm like, okay.
1: <laughs> well, it, that makes me think of, I don't know if I'd ever tell you this story, but this was, I don't know, probably a year into it, maybe a year and a half. And follow my GPS, Garmin's like, go right here. I stop, sign in the yard, get out, lock box, open up the, the lock, sentry it in. And um, I noticed there's a bedroom to the left and the sheets weren't made up. And I just thought, that's kind of odd. And so buyers start walking around and something made me think, hold on. Was that the same picture as the one in the MLS sheet? So I look at the MLS sheet and I go outside and I look at the house and I was like, yeah, the garage isn't set up the same. And then I looked at the agent, listing agent. I was like, yeah, yeah the, wrong the wrong house. So I go back in quietly and I'm like, hey, y'all, this is the wrong house. We need, we need to leave. <laughs> well, I see the sheets rustling and I'm like, hey, I'm so sorry. I'm, you know, Andrew with Benchmark Realty. Um, you know, we are in the wrong house, you know, sorry. And so um, I don't think anybody got up. So I, I go back out to the car and, you know, my, my sense of humor, I'm just laughing about it like oh my gosh well the it did stop me right at that house well the house i needed was like four more down so it was really Garmin's fault (laughs) and uh and of course i'm you know like oh gosh you know we go go look at well a little bit later and i didn't think hey maybe i should call the agent because it's on century and you know yeah i didn't even think about it why get a call from the agent agent's pretty ticked oh yeah Said, "Hey, what were you doing? You know, you didn't have an appointment." I was like, "Yeah, I'm so sorry, you know." And I don't think I, I don't think I laughed it off. But when he told me that the seller's son was in the bed, and he's blind.
3: Oh wow! And
1: I was like, "Oh, I felt terrible, you yeah. know," because I mean, here he, for all he knows, somebody's breaking in the house, and yeah, you know. Anyway, so yeah, that was so. I, I made sure. To look at that sign, look at that address, double check, so definitely walk in the right house, you know.
3: I'll tell you a, a, <laughs> a very quick um a, a realtor story. Uh this is not an appraisal story, it's a realtor story. I I was with a client. Uh we were going we were going in the house and uh to look look at a house and my client got there just a little bit before I did, maybe two or three minutes before I did. Uh, and they were, they were walking around in the backyard where the yard was fenced. Uh, thank God. Uh, because what happened next was the neighbor drove drives up. Uh, I'm standing in the, I had just gotten there. So I'm walking up front in the front and I'm walking around where my clients were, were walking around in the back to go through the gate and the neighbor pulls up and it's probably 20 yards away. And s- somebody flung flings open the door, and this ginormous German Shepherd jumps out of the car, makes a beeline for me, sees me as like just you know foaming at the mouth, just and starts uh, starts nipping at my feet and just growling, and he's wanting to eat me up. So I jump on the HVAC unit, and so and there's some bushes that are around the HVAC units and I'm standing up there and I'm doing the dance, you know, trying to, trying to yell for these people to come get their dog. And the longer I stand there and dance and do that dance, the madder I got. <laughs> I'm sitting there. Cause and, you know, they had I? to
1: see the dog, right? I,
3: they had to, and the madder I got, and I still hadn't made eye contact with my, my client yet. And so I got so I got so angry by about the time I got I it just kind of boiled over. I was like, okay, I'm, I can take this dog. So I jump off of this HVAC unit, do the Hulk. Come on! <laughs> and the dog jumps about six feet. Are back. you serious? And about that time, my client comes walking around the corner, <laughs> and, and me and the Hulk Hogan <laughs> or the Incredible Hulk pose. That's hilarious. It was it was funny, man. We laughed it off, but it was well. We had I they had finally laugh. got their dog. It will probably eating me up. If it, well, if another had.
1: so another funny story. I had some clients showed the showed the husband how. We go look. There's two little, little yappy dogs, and they were outside. It was cold. They tried to get inside. I think we got them inside, and then we had put them back outside. So we get through looking at the house. We go go back out to the front, and we're talking about it. And I heard some rustling in the fence. And next thing you know, a dog comes out. And we're like, uh, pretty sure that dog's not supposed to be out, you know. So he grabs the dog, puts it back in the fence, and I'm like, hey, let's, you know, let's get out of here so this dog doesn't try to get out because we still saw her wrestling. So we leave. I text the agent and say, hey, just giving you a heads up that, you know, their dog got out of the fence. And, um, you know, so just beware. I get a call, I think, or a text. The agent's freaking out. She's like, what are you talking about? And, you know, I told her, well, the dog had gotten out. The she tells the buyers the buyers or the sellers start freaking out they get home she's and I'm on my way back to I'm on my way to Hendersonville to meet some guys and I'm like she wanted me to turn around to go help find the dog
3: that was already out yeah
1: they were livid they thought we let it out Mm. I said let me talk to them they call me up I'm talking to the sellers talking to the wife you hear the husband in the background like where they live where they live like thinking that my buyer stole the dog and seriously and i'm like and she's like we've lived there for so many years and this dog never got out like they couldn't believe it and i'm like i'm sorry i saw it get out <laughs> i mean it was like it didn't matter what you said and so you know i get I, I hang up the phone with the seller then the agents like you gotta come back you gotta look and i'm just like i'm not coming back around you know i'm some people and uh and I did feel bad about it, and then she's calling my broker. My broker's calling me. <laughs> hey, what's the deal? I was like, look, man, they're crazy. They, they think they stole the dog, and it, it, they're adamant that there's no way. And, um, and so about that time, I'm sitting in my car in Hendersonville going, man, should I go back? I was like, God, I want to. And I already talked to my buyer, and he wasn't about to go look for the dog, you know. <laughs> well, then I get a, a text, you know, because I talked to the agent, and the agent was just adamant, like, you need to come back. And, you know, well, they end up finding the dog. The neighbors had a dog. Uh. And it was just crazy because they were so. so, now did they
3: feel bad?
1: Well, well, the (laughs) seller's going to call me, but the agent probably did a little bit because they were so adamant. There's no way. I'm like, but we. Okay, I didn't see where it got out, but I saw it get out. Yeah. Well, afterwards I fought, and the dogs were shaking, scared. The neighbors were shooting fireworks. Uh, that's why they were able to get out because they why were they ran. so freaked out. Yeah, and I didn't think about that till later. That would have made sense, but uh, wow. yeah. So I'm sure we can go on and on about stories, <laughs> right?
3: Yeah, there's been some weird ones. Well,
1: Mickey, thank you so much for uh, stopping by the Rambler. I uh, I know you are super busy. Thanks for having me, um, and uh, you know. Again, I would you know promote and say give him a call from a uh, from a realtor standpoint. But if you need a good appraiser, but hey, you know what? There's business for all of us, and, and Mickey's a great man. great dude. And uh, uh, just make sure that if you do reach out to Mickey, you let him know that you heard the podcast. So then he refers you back to me. Absolutely, You know, kind of. <laughs> I'm kidding.
3: Um, all right. Well, uh, no, I'm I'm uh, I'm super proud of what you've been able to accomplish. Right. You, right. You've you've done. You've exceeded any expectations. Uh, You've done really, really well. Well, good
1: good advice because I remember another conversation we had when I was trying to figure out what do I do. I said, so, you know, what happens if, you know, what's, what's good and what's bad from a monetary standpoint? And I remember you saying, well, you could make nothing. Mm-hmm. or you can make a lot I'm like okay well there you go
3: <laughs> that's the truth uh, of it <laughs>
1: you know luckily as you and I both know God's in control of it all so, absolutely yeah. Um, you just yeah.
3: keep working hard and you, you got to do our part provide. and you yeah. have and yeah. you know, you've, you've made yourself knowledgeable and, and well, it's it's evident
1: and I was and I'll tell you this I mean from an appraisal standpoint how many conversations have we had throughout my last five years when I bump up against one that's tough or I want to battle one, you know, yeah. you, you give me the perspective or the advice as much as you can because sometimes it's, you know, well, yeah, it's just variables. I can't give you yeah. the exact number. You know? Right. Um, so your your sister is a musician. Advice for, uh, I always think, you know, I'm asking musicians advice for buyers and sellers. So from a realtor's perspective, advice for musicians in Nashville.
3: Advice for musicians? call andrew buckwalter hey that's a good advice
1: (laughs) but real advice because i can't sing now granted you can play my rambler now right Uh, and actually and 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 mickey can play some guitar and play some music in his church as well
3: i enjoy singing and playing in church i really do it's you know what i went for years um just kind of not having the confidence to do that um um, you know I guess because I was relying on myself and not God maybe. Um, I don't know, but um, uh, the church family that that we have now has just been you know uh, they're really encouraging and um, So
1: they're pretty much accepting of all musicians, right? Uh,
3: yes, <laughs> I'm just uh, Well, just I mean, that. you know what I did catch that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know what? They uh, encourage me. Right. Well, I mean, there has to be a certain level of yes you know, competence when you're when you're doing that. Right. Um, but um, but they have been very encouraging me to cool. me. I, I didn't play guitar or piano for thirty years, 20, 25 years, um, and I picked it back up about two three years ago, uh, and I've been playing in church ever since. And it's a, one of the most fulfilling um decisions that i have ever made that's cool i'm so glad i did and it was because of the encouragement of my church family that that i did that and our worship leader
1: right right that's pretty cool yeah all right well thanks again mickey we'll we'll be talking to you
3: here and there sounds good man
1: now that you have a good idea on how appraisers come to the values on the value of your home sit back and uh enjoy the second part of the interview with melinda
2: nashville's so great in that way too because it's um just the learning curve is is quick there's Mm. you know you can be out in your own little you know i was in kansas city but you can be anywhere and you're playing to people and they think you're awesome and you kind of just stay there at that level but when you come out here it's uh it's hard but it's also, it drives you to be better because right. you're seeing all the great talent and the people from, you know, incredible vocalists to incredible lyricists and incredible performers, and it just kind of, it gets in your blood. You, you're you hearing it, you're part of it, you're learning from it almost through osmosis. You're right. just here. And just some the of natural
1: it, competition, you know. Exactly.
2: Kind of. And some of it's intentional, too, but there's just so much... More capacity in Nashville. I love Nashville for Well,
1: that. that's, you know, so being in real estate, my, my radars are on. If I hear the word move or whatever, I'm like, oh, really? Hey, they got an agent. And so now that, you know, I'm incorporating music, um, and I've met, you know, quite a few musicians just I'm throughout sure. the years. Yeah. Even with the church we went to, Aaron Loy, um, he he knows quite a few. And, um, and so it's interesting now that I'm like, all right, so I need some musicians in here. And then I'm just floored about how many, you know, you, just how many musicians there are, you know, and right. how many there are, are out there that aren't doing anything with it,
3: you right. know,
1: but actually still have the talent to do something if they yeah. wanted to play a little weekend thing. So what are some of the yeah. cool musicians you played with? Um,
2: um, well, actually, recently um, I was able to work with an incredible cellist, um, My buddy hooked hooked me up with her and said she's top three recording in Nashville. So she's mostly a session player and has um, been on the road with a lot of artists as well. Um, And she was incredible to work with. And uh, I'm really, after that uh, performance, I'm really moving toward using a cello more consistently. Letting that be a huge part of my sound and kind of putting on my composer's hat and writing parts for cello because i i did that for that and just loved the mm-hmm. way that it felt and sound and sounded and it was just a pleasure to work with her oh, and cool. uh, yeah th- to perform with her and then i've also my project was um recorded in smokestack which is in barry hill and it was done uh, at least the bass the guitar the electric guitar the piano played by me the vocals and um The drums, the band part of it was done live to kind of get that, you know, organic sound. And um, uh, some players from the Drew Holcomb band were uh, utilized during that. So that was really fun to play with them, too. Super intimidating because that all happened very quickly right after we moved. So I got here like four months into the move with a one-year-old and a four-year-old. And I'm in the studio doing live session work with number charts and with these professional musicians it's just kind of a whirlwind but um
1: made you step up your game quickly it did
2: and i learned a lot and uh it was a pleasure to work with them
1: absolutely yeah Yeah, Yeah. that's pretty cool you ever listen to the what is it the two cello guys that play have you ever seen that on youtube no they um they recreate you know older songs
4: oh that's i mean like
1: Oh I forget some of the ones, like Errol Smith, I think, or something oh, on wow. there, and I mean they are just rocking it that's you know amazing. towards the end they're popping strings, and I mean it's crazy, like that's kind of what's neat is with these mm-hmm. you know with some of these instruments, you're used to seeing it played a certain way, but then mm-hmm. when you incorporate infuse different stuff into it, it's like like listen to Ross he was with uh playing with a couple of his uh his friends and he played the fiddle and one played the banjo. And one played the uh, the big up bass, and just that's
2: so fun. the
1: the vibe, and oh, yeah. you know how they were rocking it. I mean, it was just like it was just it was a neat sound, yeah. you know. Um, and that's what I've realized that like obviously so many people could play guitar, but I've I love hearing that different stuff, the different instruments, you know. Yeah. Like I want to have like a some amount of saxophone in here, you know, <laughs> just different yeah. stuff aside from uh, a guitar. Um, even though obviously that's what most of what you hear and there are a lot of it good is. ones out there so Oh
2: yeah. Oh yeah.
1: So tell us where uh, listeners can find you and kind of what I know you said you're going to be back in the studio so kind of how can how can people find you?
2: Yeah. Um, well my website it's www.melindaedlin.com or you can follow me on Facebook and I post everything there. Uh, it's been a season of A lot of writing and kind of, I feel like I'm in a cocoon, getting ready to burst with some new things, so I'm kind of quiet right now, but there will be more coming, so that's where you can follow me.
1: Well, cool. Well, why don't we hear you play a couple songs on the keys? Great. All right.
2: Okay. This song is called, Oh Lark, as in the bird, lark, Um, and it's all about just following your passion and following your dream. So. Thank you.
4: Oh, Lark, invisible, you sing extravagant songs while in flight.
1: That was a lot of great insight into appraisals. And great perspective from Mickey Manus, who is also a realtor. and 26 years in this market, he has been through the ups and downs. So I definitely value his experience and expertise in the real estate industry. Also uh, enjoyed, definitely enjoyed listening to Melinda play on the keys. Look forward to having some more variation of instruments in the Rambler as well. Make sure to tune in next week as I'll be sitting down with the nonprofit for the month of September that I will be partnering with. Also, if you still have any interest in donating to reaching the goal of 5,500 to build a home in Haiti, please reach out to me. So far, I have uh, reached the amount of 2,000 and look forward to uh, reaching the amount of 5,500 so a home will be built. As always, remember, I am a realtor in the Nashville area. So if you're looking at buying or selling your home, looking for investment properties or anything pertaining to real estate, please reach out. You can reach me through my website, phone number, um, all kinds of contact info. Would be happy to sit down and help you. If you are in a different market and are looking for a lender or a realtor, please reach out as well. I can connect you with somebody in your area. Thanks again for taking the time to listen to episode 13. If you did get some valuable insight out of it and enjoyed the music, I would always
0: appreciate a review. Hope you have a great rest of the week. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Music City Real Estate Show. If you enjoyed our program, please leave us an iTunes rating and review and subscribe for more music and valuable insights each week into Nashville's real estate landscape. Send your comments, questions, and ideas to podcast at buckwalterimpactgroup.com and remember don't give up until you find the property that's right for you see you next time